Last spring, you chose hardworking seed. But did it work as hard as you did? At NK Seeds, we know that all the time, all the effort comes down to this. All that matters now is yield and how the seed performed on your acre. Because you can't fake performance. And bushels don't lie. Visit nkseeds.com slash harvest. Ready to haul some asphalt? Join me, Formula One champion Will Arnett, and comedian Mika Hakkinen on our new radio program, The Fast and Loose F1 Post Show on AMP. Live every Sunday after the Grand Prix, we'll talk with drivers, teams, and everything in between and dissect what happened on the track and off it. Download the AMP app and follow AMP Presents F1 or ask Alexa to play F1 on AMP. You're listening to Puck and Roll. Here's your host, Patrick Lordy. Today, hockey fans, whether you like it or not, there is no escaping the topic. You guessed it, we will of course be talking about Jesperi Kotkaniemi. But before that, we will have the pleasure of chatting with Rocco Rosa, who is a special guest for this episode. Of course, you will also be updated with news, sports history, discover some prospects, and more. This is episode 6 of Puck and Roll. everyone and welcome to episode six of puck and roll your weekly roundtable about all things Montreal canadians i am your host patrick lorty and as usual we have a jam-packed show for you so let's get this thing rolling right away and send it up to maria buabdo who has all your latest news from the past week with her segment the habs blitz this is the habs blitz with maria buabdo Hey everyone, I'm Maria Buabdo and this is the Habs Blitz with all your news and rumors from the past week. Let's start with the Women's World Tournament. Team Canada won the gold medal in the final against Team USA with captain Marie-Philippe Poulin scoring the game-winning goal in overtime. She sniped the puck into and out of the net so fast that no one other than her saw it at first. Both teams kept playing until the buzzer finally went off a few seconds later and Team Canada celebrated properly. We could say they even celebrated a bit too much. Forward Blair Turnbull broke her leg but she was brought back on the ice on a stretcher to accept her medal with a big smile. Now the news that has kept all Habs fans on their toes for the past few days. Jesperi Kotkaniemi received and signed an offer sheet by the Carolina Hurricanes. The story actually goes back to 2019 when the Canadians sent an offer sheet to Sebastian Ajo, but it was quickly matched by the Hurricanes. However, whether this is revenge or not, Mark Bergevin will have to make a decision soon, and no matter what it is, it will have a big impact on the team. Either Bergevin will be paying Kotkaniemi $6.1 million next year, or the Habs will take the Hurricanes' first and third round picks, leaving them with the possibility to start the season without a solid second-line center. But one player said he was ready to step up and play at center if needed, and that's Jonathan Drouin. Personally, I'm really excited to see him play again, and I think playing at center could be a really fresh start for him. A new season, a new position, so why not? Drouin is also getting involved with the community again. He held his golf tournament this week and broke his record, raising $810,000 for the Fondation Chim. 
Last but not least, yesterday the OHL announced that they had suspended Habs first-round pick Logan Mayu indefinitely for, quote, inappropriate conduct of an OHL player, unquote. After being on a loan and playing in Europe last season, he was supposed to be back with the London Knights, and he will have the opportunity to apply for reinstatement starting January 1st of next year. The decision will be made based on his behavior and on the, quote, appropriate treatment, counseling, mentoring, and or education he receives from the date of this decision, unquote. This forces Mayu to take a break from hockey, but allows him to focus on his growth as a person first, just like he said he wanted to do before the draft. If he shows improvement, he should easily be reinstated with his OHL team and be given a chance to develop and become the player he has the potential to be. Thank you, Maria. Also, from everyone here at Puck and Roll, we are giving a shout out to all the kids and parents currently in training camp or even starting their season. This goes out to all of you who have to wake up early for games and practices, to all those leaders of Tim Hortons you're going to buy on your way to the arena, to the warm blankets you need to survive the frigid old buildings that will become your second homes, to the pizza parties, the game winners, the heartbreakers, and tear jerkers. This one goes out to you. Players and parents, have a great 2021-2022 hockey season. Now it is my distinct pleasure to welcome the guests of our of our show, of our episode, excuse me. <laughs> it is my pleasure to welcome our guest, Mr. Rocco Rosa. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. And with us uh, today, Joshua Rosa, Scott Cowan, and Sebastian High. And uh, Joshua, I'm actually going to send it out to you uh, first because now we're hearing a Rosa. We're hearing another Rosa. Would you like to make the formal introduction? Yeah, it's not a coincidence. This is my dad, Rocco Rosa, Rosa Sr., if you will. We're here talking about, uh, we're, we'll probably end up talking about the past a little bit because he is a bit older than me. I'll say that. I won't go into specific dates or ages <laughs> or anything. You got to remain polite. He still remains your dad and he knows where you live, my friend. Yes, he does. <laughs> So we're actually going to start uh, with, well, first of all, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on us, uh, Rocco, because uh, you've been, since day one, a huge supporter of the Puck and Roll podcast, and we greatly appreciate the feedback you've given us, uh, the comments you've left us as well, sharing all of our social media, especially on Facebook. It is an absolute uh, pleasure to have you, and thank you very much. It, it's, it, it's a big deal for us because... This is something that we want to do. It doesn't matter who necessarily uh, you are, what kind of background you come from. The fact of the matter is on this show, we love to have regular fans, you know, and we love to know their stories. We love to know their backgrounds. And in your case, your background, you know, starts a little earlier than, than most of us, but you've seen the greats. You've seen John Béliveau. You've seen Guy Lafleur. You've seen Yvon Cournoyer. You've seen Bob Gainey. You know, so like you see the glory days of the Montreal Canadiens, but let's start at the very beginning. What exactly made you fall in love with hockey? I mean, is it, you know, like just the game itself? Is it the sweaters? I mean, like you're, you know, take yourself back, you know, to that, to 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 to, to the time where where you were little Rocco, let's say, and try and try to remember what exactly is it that made you fall in love with this amazing game that is hockey. When I look back at it, it really wasn't the NHL. It wasn't players. It wasn't anything like that that brought me into a, a passion of, of hockey. It's actually playing hockey on the streets. Uh, I never played on the ice. I never played in an organized league or anything like that. Um, 
as, as I grew up, I, I spent some time on the ice and wasn't the greatest skater or hockey player, but really it was the, uh, it was just, you know, every night going out after dinner and hanging out with a bunch of kids on the block and uh, pulling the nets out in the middle of the street and you hear the thing, you know, car, you pull the nets out exactly. the side and, and you bring it back out, right? Um, and I remember just playing hours and hours of hockey uh, every night after after dinner on the weekends. It was just something that we did at that time. It just, I can't even remember who kind of exposed me to this. It just happened, right? It was just something that we did. I think it's just in our DNA as Canadians, right? You know, it's like the, the, se- the second a snowflake shows up or a little, a little breeze starts hitting our skin and we're like, hockey time. You know, it's just, we almost get engaged right away. And speaking of engaging, so once, you know, you grew up and everything, did you have a, an actual favorite team you were, you were rooting for? Well, I, I was thinking back on that and I tried to figure out why I became a Habs fan because I grew up in, in Hamilton, Ontario. So the, uh, the choice was Toronto at the time. Uh, but when I was, I, I kind of was looking around and thinking, okay, how did that happen? Um, so I really started enjoying like ball hockey and then the guys and all that stuff. And it was really between the years of 1975 and 1980. So that's a five-year span there that Montreal dominated. Oh, yeah. They took the cup home every year between, you know, 75-76 season to the 78-79 season. Um, so just, you know, the, the Canadian dream, right? Win the Stanley Cup. So just being exposed to a team that was winning while we were playing on the streets, we became, uh, you know, the Steve Shutt, the Ken Dryden, you know, <laughs> uh, while we're playing on the streets. So that that being the main news source of the NHL, that kind of swayed me into becoming a Montreal fan. And who, when you were playing ball hockey and you're on the street, who, who were you pretending to be? Because we all imagined, you know, we were, you know, game seven of the Stanley cup finals. And here it comes in my case, it was Mario Lemieux on the breakaway. And then you, of course you win the game. So who, who was your player at the time? Well, obviously if I, if I was in that, it was Ken Dryden. That was a, a no-brainer. The, when I was playing, um, I usually I was a bigger kid, so I was kind of more on the defensive side. So Larry Robinson was was my guy on the defense. Big bird and uh, <laughs> the big bird, yeah. And and then of course, if you're playing, you know, outside the blue line, you're going to be Guy Lafleur. <laughs> like that's that's the way it works. It's a must, yeah. <laughs> Those were the three big ones. Uh, but there, I mean, there was uh, Tremblay, Rajon Ool, Steve Shutt. Uh, Bob Gainey. There's just a number of people that you could uh, you can call on the powers of these players while you're in the middle of the hockey <laughs> or the middle of the street playing hockey. Growing up, I, uh, my dad always had that sentiment where he said that the Stanley Cup parade happens so often in Montreal that if they missed it one year, he said, oh, I'll just go the next summer. It'll be there. <laughs> and obviously, having grown up around all those big star players like Gil Fleur and back when the Habs were the best team in the NHL, what was that experience like being able to sort of see the Stanley Cup parade that often and know that you were the best in the NHL? Yeah, it was. I mean, it, it's different. <laughs> it's a different era now of what you're what we're exposed to in hockey. Uh, I mean, there's so much information and, you know, online, anywhere. Uh, where it was basically the the newspapers um, whenever we saw that and, and on on the news like the you know six o'clock news there would be all kinds of uh, information on you know going into the playoffs and you know who's who's 
the team that's going to beat Montreal this year or try to beat Montreal this year. That was kind of the news headlines. Um, I remember one, one spot, there was a, a bank down the street from us growing up and I can't even, I, I wasn't sure if it was Toronto Dominion or not, but they gave away these little magazines, these little hockey magazines. And we would go like, it would be a monthly thing. And the kids would all run to this bank and they were fantastic. They, it was supposed to be for their customers, I guess, but we would walk in there and they would just be waiting for us and handing out these, these flyers and magazines. So, um, it was, you know, that, that excitement around, especially around uh, playoff time, these things were things that we, we looked forward to that we, you know, we're, we're excited to, to get that magazine, be the first guy after school to, to go to the bank and <laughs> bring home a magazine uh, and then leaf through it for any Montreal pitchers and be upset when there wasn't. So, uh, but yeah, so it, it was a very different time in getting information. It wasn't as easily accessible as it is now. A lot of kids kind of grew up, well, at least my age, kind of grew up reading the sweater and that classic book. And I guess for you, it, it was like that with the least Canadian drama. But if you wore the least sweater, you were lynched by your friends or you were seen as something else by your friends. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There was, I mean, it was, it was great as kids because everybody had their teams. Like it wasn't, we weren't stuck on, you know, everybody's got to be Toronto, Montreal. You'd find different names and everybody, like, it's kind of like now everybody has a different kind of uh, pull to a certain team, a color or a name. And, uh, and it came out on the streets. It was fantastic. So I know at home you have a certain special signed jersey downstairs. And I know you've collected some other memorabilia in the past, namely hockey cards. Can you tell us a little about your collection that you've had and what happened to it? Yeah, so I have uh, actually a jersey that's, that belongs to Josh. That's, I, I'm... I'm uh, storing for now um it is Guy Lafleur. his name does come up um it's, it's come up quite often lately and I think there might I'm starting to see a correlation I mean at first we're thinking oh this is kind of cool thing with history but now that you're mentioning that you own one I'm starting to think that Josh is after your inheritance here or something like buddy calm <laughs> <Could> down <be. laughs> um I did go to a, a memorabilia show that Guy Lafleur was actually part of and I don't know if I can say this, this Josh, I think was probably just uh, an infant at the time. And uh, so after his little spiel and they did the, the auction, I actually saw him standing by the bar and I went and had a cigarette and a beer with him. <laughs> um, no and the one question I had to him at the time um, was, are you going to go and coach Montreal? And he said, no, I'm not that stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't even know wow. if Josh knows that, but uh, um, a story that just, I was just kind of, you know, while I was preparing for this, some of the, some of the thoughts. Um, yeah. So it's kind of cool. Uh, so the, the hockey card thing, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but what would happen with hockey cards, especially in uh, during recess and lunch at schools uh, they're, they're used as games. Uh, so you would take these cards and you would throw and them evens. up against, pardon me? Odds and evens was one of them, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, one was, uh, you would set up, uh, five or 10 cards uh, along the wall standing up and you'd have to knock them down. And the person that knocked the last card down would collect whatever pile of cards were on the floor. Wow. <laughs> Odds and evens flips. So you would flip them up and you would name, is it going to land face up or face down? Um, so it was, you know, we would, we 
you know, eagerly go buy these cards when we get 25 cents or 35 cents, whatever that uh, the cost was way back when, and you get a dozen cards and a piece of bubble gum that would last for like two chews. Um, but these cards, when I'm looking at people selling these cards, not so much now, I know the market's kind of flattened out a little bit, but like, I don't know how many times I had like a Gila Fleur um, rookie card or Ken Dryden or any of those things, right? And we didn't collect them to hold on to them. We collected them to play at, in, the, in the playground. They were gambling chips. That's what oh, they yeah, were. <laughs> it was crazy. And, and, and we would do the trades and stuff, but it was all about this game. And today, and today, kids are gambling Pokemon cards, I think. So, yeah. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Or changed. trying to find them on their phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, the cards would get destroyed. And you were always trying to find out a better way to, to fold the card or bend the card to win the game. Uh, so the cards themselves were pieces of paper, but, you know, and then you'd come home and you'd have like a big pile of cards one day. And then the next day you come home with two cards. So it was just this fun game that happened. And that's what we use the hockey cards for. So if I had taken those cards and tucked them away in a box somewhere, uh, there probably would have been some really cool cards there, but yeah, I'm sure, they were I'm all sure. destroyed. I'm sure there was a couple of gems in there as well. And like quick story, real quick, like I've collected cards uh, as well, you know, in the early nineties, you know, I was, I would always, you know, get whatever money I can get, go to the, go to the store. Well, we go to the comic book store back in the days, you know, and go there, buy a box of, you know, pro sets or OPGs or whatever. And my friends and I, you know, we trade whatever doubles or triples we have. And I kept a book uh, and it's somewhere at my parents' storage and I, um, I remember looking at it, I think, two or three years ago. And I'm going through the, the collection, and I'm seeing like guys like Ulf Samuelson and Bill Ranford. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And then I see, oh, look, a Luke Robitaille rookie car. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I should maybe hold on to that for the next 50 years, you know? <laughs> I'm glad I didn't gamble that one away. Uh, Sebastian, you had a question as well for our guest, Rocco. Yeah, so going back to uh, that string of five cup, uh, like cup victories... Was there like a depth player that like won your heart in one of those years? Because like this, like this year, Corey Perry won the hearts of almost all Habs fans and uh, John Merrill did not. Uh, was there like a, a, a depth player that was just like an absolute fan favorite, favorite during, during those years? For me, for that, the, the biggest thing was Ken Dryden. I loved goalies and he was awesome. Like just, just to watch him play and, uh, you know, and you look at the comparison to the equipment and the way goalies play now to back then, um, my mind just sees the pictures of him, like just, uh, um, that would be the guy. Like, I mean, we talk about the forwards and the goal scorers and, and all those guys. Right. Uh, but for me, it was always Ken Dryden. You're listening to Rocco Rosa joining us alongside Joshua, Scott and Sebastian, uh, Rocco, um, I mean, my father is about the same generation as you, and obviously he's raved on about Guy Lafleur. And coincidence is that his name is also Guy, so you know he was absolutely thrilled about that fun fact. Um, I like to know, in your perspective, I mean, I, I've heard it a million times because you know it's what I grew up with. But for you know fans of a certain age, um, they might look at someone like me, and I'm. I'm not even 40 years old yet, yet I, I've still, I was alive for two Stanley Cups. So, I mean, okay, I was only old enough to actually, you know, witness one properly. But, you know, guys like Scott, Sebastian, and Josh, like seeing the Stanley Cup finals last year was the closest thing that they, that they witnessed, you know, like of the, 
of the intensity and the wildness that is Montreal like during what they actually call playoff fever. But my question to you is, as someone, you said it earlier, you know, oh, we didn't see the cup this year. We'll just go next year. We'll probably get it then. How did you feel once, you know, guys like Robinson, Saval, you know, Cournoyer, Lafleur, they all started leaving. And the next thing you know, the NHL started expanding. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, we're not winning. And we're not winning. Oh, and then 86 happened. And, you know, we had a young guy named Patrick Watt happened and everything. But then when did you realize that, hey, we can't, win this one every year and then especially after 93 i mean how do you feel as a habs fan now i mean do you still have that same passion as you had for way back when or you know or is it just you know what it is what it is and it's just tv entertainment from now on that's a great question yeah i you know i think it boils down to that you know the the habs have always been on my heart so it's always been the team i mean josh remembers that we had painted one of our basement walls uh, a um, like a, a nice ring. <laughs> yeah, it was like it looked like a giant ice rink with the with the Habs logos and nice. stuff. It's just I I've never like swayed away from it, and and there there has been teams there's had been you know you know um, runs you know, from different teams that have done really well. Yeah, and it's great, and I'm unlike some other like. Uh, sorry, I, I would not say that word. Other fans, um, I just like watching the team win, right? And and one of my passions to have a Canadian team. I think everybody in this room would agree to to bring the cup home soon. Oh yeah. Um, I'm not a person that says, "Well, if Montreal is not going to win, then I'm not going to watch or play anything else." How do you feel about those kinds of fans? You know, like, oh, like, I hate them. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we call them bad wagoners, but I mean. I've seen that often, you know, like, oh, yeah, back in the day, he was doing all the time. Now they suck. Yeah. I don't care about them, you know, so yeah, you, yeah. you hate them, you say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've got friends, I get, you know, friends that are, are, are true blue and white fans. And uh, their, their thoughts are if, uh, if tr- Toronto can't win the cup, I would love a Canadian team to win as long as it's not Montreal. <laughs> and I'm like, like, really? Like, come on. What do you like? There's and I and I guess it boils down to like their age and they're passionate about that team. I mean, I have a confession yeah. to make. I don't mind if any Canadian team wins as long as it's not Toronto. So I mean <laughs> But it's just, just, it's just been so so deep in me that it's always been Montreal. Right? But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna not watch or follow another team that is doing really well. Um, when Montreal's out, you know, I may not watch as many uh, playoff games, but I want to uh, point out real quickly, like Scott and Sebastian, for example, have this incredible segment, as you know, uh, called the prospect heroes. And these guys dig really deep into advanced analytics and statistics. And uh, Scott admitted to me the other day that, you know, he must have like about 58 tabs open on his internet browser when he's doing these segments. And Sebastian has, you know, all these uh, Excel documents and they're so, 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 so organized and it's incredible. But I mean, um, guys, feel free to interject about this next question. I mean, how was it, how different was it way back when versus today when, you know, the only source of news you had was the newspaper that was delivered to your door in the morning. 
you know, you would have to get, you know, whatever newspaper you had at the time, you'd open it being like, all right, so last night, all right, Canadian score, da, 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 cool. And, you know, okay, Lafleur scored another three, that's 30 for the year and everything. And that was it. That piece of paper was the only source that you had. Today, you got like 17 million websites. I mean, does the technology today kind of kill that passion a little bit? You know, like a little bit, you know, like radio kill the radio star, for example. Uh, but like, you know, like how like how different was it, you know, to live in that, you know, in that past where paper you, you, you had to rely 100 percent as to what the author wrote versus, you know, all the sources you have today. I think it's it's really formed me of what kind of uh, fan I am today, for sure. Uh, very little. I mean, we would try to get home and, and try to watch some news that would have like a, you know, 45 second uh, sports, you know, blip on, on hockey, especially in, in the playoffs is obviously more uh, information in the news. I, I really rarely would read the articles because it was so Toronto centered because it was so close to Toronto. So it didn't uh, change. But, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but there was always the little, the little, you know, the little spreadsheet in the in the paper that would have the players' names, you know, games played, goals, uh, yeah. assists, that sort of stuff. So we would look at that, and and then we would briefly look at, you know, especially in those those five years, we would you know compare it to the Toronto little box and say, look at what you know Montreal is doing compared to this little box, right? Yeah. So, um, so it, how, how I look at things now, I, I, I really appreciate what, you know, especially Josh seeing him and, and watching what you guys do about the stats. I'm not about that. I like watching passionate people on the ice and that's what it was about before. And it, I guess it, you know, it, it, it went through me. Like I was Larry Robinson with my stick or I was Ken Dryden, right. Uh, just watching players on the ice, the stats really didn't, mean a lot to me at the time so it never really followed me like I'm not a guy that sits there and looks at all the stats and who's doing what and all that sort of stuff I want to watch guys play passionately on the ice that's what I want to see absolutely the numbers are great and they're important but not for me I'm going to ask a question to everyone on the panel to Josh Scott and Sebastian and I'd love to hear your your answer and this is a little impromptu, so you guys have no idea what I'm going to talk about. And then, Rocco, I'll ask you one final question to tie all this together. Let's start with Josh, because your dad is the star of the show right now. I mean, how cool is it to share hockey with your dad? Like, how amazing is it, you know, when you're sitting with your dad and you're watching the game? And, you know, and I'm sure you, you, you've, you know, everyone has grown up, you know, with, with I mean, not just your dad, but your mother or, your, or any other relative and whatnot. And listening to them talk like, yes, son, back in 1976, we never lost. You know, like LaFleur would score 19 goals with it with one hand behind his back, blindfolded while, while smoking a cigarette. You know, so like, and then you, and then today, you know, you, you guys are all old enough, you know, in order to make some more, you know, arguments about the game and everything. So, I mean, like, you guys still have that same passion. You guys, you guys still love sitting down with your parents and maybe watching the game. Josh, it's still with you. Yeah, I remember it's always been a big bonding thing, I feel, between me and my dad. I, the big one I remember was in 2010 when Montreal went on that great run to the Eastern Conference Finals. They beat Washington, who they weren't supposed to beat. They beat Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I remember staying up with my dad watching those games and I think that was when it really 
kind of started hitting on me how much I did like watching hockey and how much interest I had in it. And it was sitting there in the basement in our hockey rink basement with all the half stuff around me watching this incredible, miraculous comeback win against Washington and winning in Pittsburgh in game seven. We just, it was a great bonding experience. I'll never forget it. I've managed to put it off for the longest time now, but for those of you not in the know, my father is Stu Cowan, who is one of the Gazette Sports Show, who is one of the main writers for the Montreal Gazette and has been main writer for the Montreal Gazette for quite a long time. So obviously growing up with a journalist as a father, specifically a journalist who covers the Montreal Canadiens extensively and who all the, all the players know, it was definitely a different experience watching games. I mean, a player would flub up and one or the other would say, oh, come on, you old fart. You ought to make a better play than that or something like that. A little more explosive, right? Definitely, it was a bit more of a, I had an analytical view towards the Canadians growing up because I definitely had somebody who had to have that viewpoint and who had to have these opinions on the players and who had to recap the games like that. And the thing I noticed in both the 2009 and the, this past playoff run was that when the Habs are doing well, none of that seems to matter anymore. And the analytical viewpoints and the criticism just kind of go out the window for the most part. And you can just kind of focus on enjoying the Canadians during these amazing playoff runs. And that kind of reminds me a lot of how things used to be with the Canadians back in the 70s, as Mr. Rocco was talking about, with them being as like a parade every single season. So I definitely think that it was a really great bonding experience just to be able to do that. And it definitely inspired me to do the stuff that I'm doing today, kind of leading on on my dad's legacy. So it was a bit different for me. So my my dad actually played hockey for like 12 years growing up, um, but uh, he just hasn't watched hockey at all since then. Like he, he enjoyed playing it, but wasn't the sport that he enjoyed watching. Uh, so the only real big hockey memory I have with my dad was the golden goal uh, at the Olympics in Vancouver. Uh, like he watched that game with me. But apart from that, it was really like, like on my own that I like discovered like my Aww. my my love for hockey. Yeah, because like I again, like it's just like like none of my friends watch hockey either. So like like my my like passion for hockey has just been like steadily increasing the last couple of years, like especially also that now with like this podcast and like being able to talk about it and uh, doing a lot more research on my own. And it's it's just been like my hobby as well, just like for my own time. So it, it's a different road, but also like, like Scott was saying, like, like uh, growing up that way helped him get to where like, like he is now with, with all of this. And it was the same thing for me, but just for the exact opposite reason of not having that hockey outlet and then searching for one instead. Sebastian, we promise you, we will get together and watch games together. Yeah, for sure. You have friends in us. I'm all alone. <laughs> in my, in, well, I guess, I guess I'll go at the same time. In my case, uh, since I'm a little bit older, my story, I would say where I actually had started to get memories of this because, you know, I mean, in my family, it's ran generation after generation after generation. On my mother's side, my grandfather, um, who was a very strong as an ox, loud person who would swear every second word in Quebecois, by the way, you know, and I'm seeing Rocco nod being like, yep, that's pretty typical of that generation, you know, who had friends all over the place, but never remembered their names. And, you know, having such a boisterous personality and always remember asking him and I asked him more than once. And every time he told me the same answer, I'm like, grandpa, what's your, who's your favorite player? And then he, his eyes were kind of light up. And then in a very 
And then his tone of voice would just drop. You know, the volume would just go right down. And he'd kind of like take a pause and go, Mogus. And, you know, it wasn't, oh, Mogus, Kishaw, well, wait, no, it's Mogus. And that was it. That was the end of the conversation. You know, you just knew like the, 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 the mythical aura that was around him. And then, you know, my other grandfather grew up as a Bruins fan, of all things. So that always made us some very interesting encounters. But my earliest memory, I think, was during the, the 89 finals when Montreal uh, faced Calgary. And I was, um, I was a little flabbergasted because, you know, it was some pretty incredible hockey. It was some hard-hitting uh, cross-check fest, you know, everyone had a giant mustache, and, you know, even our coach, it was the first year of Pat Burns, by the way, with the Montreal Canadiens, and Landy McDonald was still playing on the other side, so I got to witness that, and I kind of just, that right there and then, you know, like, I remember going up to my dad and being like, can I watch the game? He's like, no, Pat, you have to go to bed. Just in period. Okay. <laughs> and then I go sit, watch the game and everything, and it kind of went on, and it just, and as I grew, um, and I guess in a way, I was kind of born to make a, you know, to make a podcast like this because I always had questions. I would always argue. I would always debate. You know, like I, I remember my my dad saying, "Oh, you know, uh, Kevin Haller had a pretty bad game." No, I think he was pretty good. You know, he was playing the corner zone pretty well. It was, you know, Desjardins who was out, out da, da, da. and then we get into these huge arguments, and even today. To this day, you know, in 2021, I'm the one who has a kid now and, you know, and my daughter comes up to me, you know, three feet high and, and, you know, and, and it kind of like babbles to me and going, daddy, are we watching hockey? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And then, you know, she's two years old. So her attention span lasts about, you know, 30 seconds, but, you know, she would still sit there in her pajamas and going like, who's playing i'm like we're the red team we have to beat the white and blue team and she's like okay go Habs, go go Habs, go and i'm and i'm like wow it's just you know like i'm being on the other side of the medal is just it's absolutely incredible and that's you know the same can be said for any other sport you know like the the, the stories you know not just the father-son stories because you know there's a lot of daughters out there you know who had who bonded with their parents their uncles grandparents whatever you know who've watched the sports and kind of bonds over it and that's the beauty of it you know, and Rocco made an outstanding point earlier when he said it was all about the passion. You know, it was the passion of the game. It was representing the jersey you were wearing. And today, well, you know, some players still do that. But for the, for the most part, it's a business, you know. And we're going to talk about that business a little bit because obviously, like I said, we're going to talk about Jesper Kocke and Yemi. And the, that's a huge business decision in this case. But um, going into modern times, Rocco, uh, we're going to end our interview with uh, a little tidbits, you know, like a little information that I've got on the side when we first started talking before. And uh, well, first of all, I hear you're a huge Cole Caulfield fan, which I know a lot of us have fallen in love with this kid, my, myself as well. And so tell us about your love for Caulfield and why, and give us your prediction on how the Habs are, in, are going to do for next season. So, I mean, I talked about passion. When that kid's on the ice, that's what, I mean, it personifies that. He just goes, he gives his all, right? And it's just, I love watching him play because you can see that. You can see that on the ice. It's it's not about always about numbers or anything. You just watch that kid skate on the ice and go after the puck and dig. And, you know, just it's just amazing. Like, that. that's what I love about hockey. 
Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of players that do that. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes they, they start off that way. And then, like you said, it becomes a business. And all of a sudden, that passion kind of goes away because now I got to protect myself because I got to make so much money or I'm expected to do so much stuff. Uh, so it kind of uh, it kind of has a bit of an effect that way. Uh, unfortunately, I've seen it, you know, for many years. Uh, and then, I mean, for next year, I mean, this season was fantastic. The whole year uh, the Habs played uh, just some great hockey and, and their ability to adapt and to change uh, plays and, and, and to, you know, see flaws and, and exploit them or, or make changes like, during a period, not even like in between periods. Um, if they can maintain that, and they can bring that through, even with the newer players that are coming in, you know, I think they've got, they got a good chance to, to be successful still, right? If they play that game, you know, yeah, there's going to be guys that are going to be gone and, and we're going to probably talk about one that's possibly uh, have, has a foot out right now yeah. and maybe a, a little hook around his body to stay back. But, um, I, you know, I think it's, uh, these teams, like when I look at the newer teams and, and the expansion teams and everything, like the, the original six, there's something about it. Like players want to keep playing for these teams. You know, I know they follow the dollar and all that sort of stuff, right? But there's always that, you know, I mean, the Montreal and we'll say Toronto and Detroit, like those Boston, those teams are always, you know, the, even people, you know, younger that are coming in, they feel that legacy of great teams like that. And there's a pull for that. It's so, absolutely, you know. it's absolutely incredible, Rocco, that you were you were to say that because uh, for anybody who's been listening to all of our episodes, if you haven't, go back. We have some amazing episodes. Uh, yeah. All of our guests, whether yourself, Anthony DeMarco was on our show from the fourth period. We had Kevin Reason, who was also you know just a regular fan like yourself, and we've chatted amongst ourselves. Uh, you know, even guys like like Anthony, who's a Flyers fan or casual fans, or whatever, they all say, yeah, you know, yeah, we lost Deno. Weber's not going to play, but we still have a chance. So uh, there's something mythical about wearing that red, white, and blue sweater, the C on, like the C on your, the crest on your chest, and when you're representing such a storied franchise like Montreal that just drives the players. Mr. Rocco Rosa, thank you very much for your generous time. It has been an absolute pleasure, and hopefully we do this again, my, my friend. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for the invite. to another here's joshua rosa with on this day in habs history on this day in habs history on this day september 2nd the year of our lord 1956 baby boy was born in the small town of Alma, Quebec with the name of Joseph Tremblay. Keeping up with last week's trend of Montreal players being born Joseph, but going by different names, 
Joseph Maurice Richard and Joseph Toe Blake. You probably know Joseph Tremblay better by his middle name, Mario Tremblay. Tremblay was drafted 12th overall in the 1974 draft, the fourth of Montreal's five first-round picks that year. Le Bleuet Bionique, or the Bionic Blueberry for us non-Francophones, as he was called, named for the plentiful blueberries that come from his hometown, made his NHL debut in that year and scored 21 goals. He played his whole career in Montreal and finished with four 30-goal seasons. However, he is possibly better known today for his time as head coach of the Canadiens and Patrick Roy's worst enemy. In 1995, he was hired as the head coach of the Canadiens with no prior coaching experience. And despite being roommates during Wa's rookie season and Tremblay's final season as a player, they reportedly butted heads from the start. Former coach Jacques Demer reportedly bowed to Wa's every whim, something that Tremblay wouldn't allow. According to some unsubstantiated stories, Tremblay and Wa nearly engaged in fisticuffs at a bar when Tremblay was announced as head coach, and Wa audibly laughed the first time Tremblay entered the locker room. And of course, Tremblay was the coach that fateful day of December 2nd, 1995, where the Canadians lost to the Red Wings 11-1, nine of those goals being scored on Wa. Tremblay maintains that Ra wished to remain in net after the first period, but nonetheless, as Ra left the ice, he told Canadians management this was his last game as a half. If you're worried about their relationship now, don't be. The two recently reconciled and appeared together in Uber Eats commercials earlier this year. Tonight. I'll be eating a flank steak with shallots and a basket of french fries. Tonight, I'll be eating salmon tartare with a blueberry pie. Merci, bye. Merci, buddy. Thank you, Josh. I was hoping to never bring up 1995 ever again, but it seems it's simply inevitable. <laughs> Thanks a lot, sir. Réjouis. And now it's time for the Prospect Heroes with Scott Cowan and Sebastian High. The Prospect Heroes, Scott and Sebastian on Puck and Roll. And Sebastian, it's time for your wonderful segment. It's time to talk about prospects. We're going to continue our little role that we've had uh, for a couple of episodes now where we're um, overanalyzing the 2021 picks. <laughs> but uh, here's a player that we've mentioned before. Uh, but, uh, well, for some reason or another, we just didn't have the time to talk about. But he's apparently a very interesting candidate. Uh, Sebastian, I guess I'll start with you. Riley Kidney. Second round pick number 63 overall. What do you have on him? Yeah, so th- this is not a player that I personally would have drafted in the first three rounds. 
Um, but there are some really interesting aspects to his game. Like I, I watched a few um, uh, Akazi Bathurst games this season. I never really came away very impressed from Ki- of Kidney because he he's okay, but he's undersized, but he just gets pushed to the periphery like very easily, right? And uh, if you get pushed to the periphery, you can't really do much offensively, right? So um, like, I also think a lot of his assists were like secondary assists of just like passing around the power play and not necessarily being most like like actively like an active player in the actual goal being scored. Um, however, uh, like I, I'm a big fan of advanced stats and um, uh, elite prospects track nine games of his and uh, came at, like, like the stats look very good. Um, like he, he was like in like the 90th percentile and expected goals. Uh, he had really good expected primary assists. Uh, he was also really good in transition. So, uh, I think he was like in the 89th percentile or above in terms of zone exits and, uh, 80th percentile or above in zone entries and transition is such an important part of the game. And especially if you're like a smaller player that gets pushed to the periphery in the offensive zone, you want them to actually also like contribute in other facets of the game and since kidney is not a two-way forward like he's not very good defensively yet that, that that can still come but he just isn't there yet you want him to contribute in different ways and he does and despite these very promising advanced stats elite prospects did not rank him because they also watched the game tape and um despite his like dominant uh playoff performance of nine games where he got 17 points and 15 assists if i'm not mistaken um, despite that, like really impressive tally, there's a lot. It, 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 he has a long way to go, right? Like, like, like this is a real project, and um, I, I'd say if he makes the NHL, it might be in like five years at the earliest. Um, but the Habs deemed him worthy of a second round draft pick. Uh, I would personally have gone with someone like uh, Stanislav Sozil or maybe. Uh, Simon Robertson, who were both uh, slotted to go in the first round and didn't, and were still available at the end of the second. Um, but at the same time, with young players, you never know, right? And and there are like these like like glimpses of of high end skill and tremendous playmaking, um, and just need to find some more consistency. But there there is hope for this. And uh, Scott, I'm not quite sure what you want to add to this, and if you have a different perspective from from me. Well, Scott, let me let me tell you into to something first, if you don't mind. I'm really, really sorry to to interject here. Uh, one of the most interesting things you said, Sebastian, was how elite prospect didn't rank him. Now, let's take away the fact that last year's draft was an absolute mumble jumble. I mean, players were all over the place. I'm not going to make the same Ottawa Senators joke once again. Uh, <laughs> but let me read you. Scott, and I want you to react to this. I'm going to read you word for word what Elite Prospect says. Okay, this is from the Elite Prospect's 2021 NHL Draft Guide. And I quote, The winger's tools, especially his puck handling abilities and his offensive habits, the way he attacks at a high pace, scans before getting the puck, and receives every one of them in motion, kept us watching over the course of the season. He has real problem-solving skills, you see him bounce the puck off his skates and instantly dangle through defenders. Our guy was 5'11", 168 pounds. You know, okay, he's played center. He could play wing as well, apparently. He's been captain of his Bantam team. He's been assistant captain for Team Nova Scotia in the 
It doesn't sound that bad. I mean, you know, like if anything, it's like, wow, okay, he's a prototypical speedy dangler. Like, or like, are we just exaggerating the fact that he sounds like Patrick Kane, or is there really a huge downside to his game that makes it, you know what, maybe he was drafted a little too quickly and maybe he'll be a bust. The number of factors I think to take into consideration when you talk about uh, Kidney's game and also the team he's played for. Like Sebastian, I personally would have taken Sasha Pastujov at this position. I liked him a lot more, and he was a guy I also took in the first round of my mock draft. He fell quite a bit, but that's besides the point. The thing about Kidney that's another thing that's important to note is that the Academy Baffers Titan were horrible in when he played there his first season. They only won 12 games, they won eight games the year before. They suffered from what a lot of teams suffer from, which is most of their top players go onto the NHL, and then the team has nothing left to work with, so they have to rebuild. But he definitely managed to improve his performance over the course of the season. And at this point in the draft, even at the second round, it's basically a 50-50 draw when it comes to how guys are going to turn out. The Canadians drafted based on upside in this case, and they actually made a number of picks that were based on upside, like Joshua Waugh in the fifth round. And I definitely think that Waugh and Kidney actually have a lot in similar, both being fairly young at 18 and 17, respectively, both having a lot of upside, both being very talented players offensively, and both having put up some immensely impressive numbers. I know that Sebastian said about secondary assists and how that does technically contribute a lot to Kidney's pretty impressive offensive statistics, but he still recorded 15 assists over nine games in the playoffs, which is still nothing really to shake a stick at for an 18-year-old player, and especially on a team that doesn't really have much in the way of big-name players. The last big-name guys that the Acura Buffers Titan had were Noah Dobson and Antoine Morin a long time ago, so nowadays, Kidney's just standing out on a team that maybe doesn't have the quite the big star guys that other uh, Kim JHL teams have, and I feel like that's something to be uh, admired and even looked at in the future. I definitely think he has a lot of upside, and he'll be a player to look out for. If I can just add one more thing. So, Patrick, you brought up the elite prospects, uh, what they're saying. Well, I'm not quite sure if it comes up on, like, just a little, like, summary when you look on, on his uh, elite prospects page, is that the guide also says that um, he lacks manipulation abilities, right? So he's a dangler, but he's not, he doesn't shift his body weight particularly effectively to actually deceive his opponents, where it's a lot just, like, stick in front, move puck side to side which is the most effective thing if you can't actually deceive your opponents. So that, that'd be one thing where like, sure, you can be as good as a dangler ever, but if you can't actually like convince your opponent, you're going left when you're going to go right, does it matter? Another thing is that elite prospect was also saying that um, while he is a skilled player in the QMJHL, they are just not convinced that he's going to be able to translate that skill. So not only did they not rank him, I'm almost convinced that they put him at, 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 at they gave him an F grade. So of all the players that that that, that they ranked, um, the ones that actually made their final ranking were between A and C. Uh, Joshua Roy, for instance, I believe had a C ranking, but was not re- ranked, but he was like right on the brink of being ranked. Whereas Riley Kidney was way down on their list because they saw him as a skilled QMJHL player and they just saw no signs of him being able to actually translate that. I'll definitely go with you on that one, Sebastian. Uh, let me ask you, um, in round five, 142nd overall from St. Petersburg, Russia, Daniel Sobolev. I love late draft picks because you never know what to expect. Um, you know, like we've, we, we know, we've heard all the millions of stories, you know, about, you know, like, Hey, we drafted Patrick Roy in the fourth round, for example. Right. I mean, you never know like uh, what, what can come out. So, I mean, like, have you heard anything about him? I mean, what's your, what's your take on, dra- on drafting Sobolev? 
Start with one back to a defenseman that we talked about previously, whose name is now escaping my mind. I think Sebastian would probably refill me on that defense we talked about the last time from the Canadians. Kostenko or Trudeau? It was, it was Kostenko. Because much like Kostenko, uh, Sobolev is another MHL player who's been playing mostly in, in Russia's junior league for the past few seasons. And in fact, he's yet to make his debut in the VHL or even the KHL. So he spent his entire past season in the MHL. He's now committed- he didn't play. He did not play last season. Oh, yes, that's a very good point to make. He was committed to play for the Windsor Spitfires, but, yeah, the OHL season ends up being cancelled. The thing is, at this late in the draft, and unless they have a good story, Sobolev's a guy who just, there isn't really a whole lot to really bring up regarding his ability, at least at first glance. I know Sebastian can obviously fill in right there. But even for a person like myself, who is a big fan of the NHL draft and a big fan of prospects, my focus was tuned towards guys like Joshua Wong, Xavier Simonneau, who took up most people's attention because of their stories. At this late in the draft, a lot of the, Thing about a lot of the thing that drives a lot of people to these players is their stories. Simono managed to benefit from the fact that he was passed over in two NHL drafts. He was very small. He had comparisons to David Darnay. And while Stephen Solo is a really talented player, he's a very solid defensive defenseman at his core. He's big, he's strong. I mean, if you see some pictures of him online, he's absolutely in fantastic shape for a guy at his age. And he's been a, a fixture on uh, Russia's junior teams for the past few seasons. And it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. But for the time being, I definitely think he's more grouped into an Arsen Kisimadunov kind of guy who Montreal's going to be looking at maybe to contribute for Laval in the future. But I'll let Sebastian fill in and go with his opinion on this one. Yeah, so Sobolev is one of my favorite picks of this draft. Um, I can't say I was overly familiar with him before the draft actually took place. It was one of these names that I'd recognized, but because the OHL season didn't occur, I didn't get a chance to watch him. But... Um, during the draft, uh, uh, like David Saint Louis, who is uh, elite prospects like QMJHL uh, scout, he uh, tweeted out that Sobolev was like the first player that the Habs drafted in the draft that he was actually really, really excited about. And while Sobolev did not crack the uh, elite prospects ranking, uh, that was despite uh, uh, David Saint Louis's best efforts because he clearly is a fairly big fan of the players and. That interest like really piqued mine, and I figured, okay, I'll, I'll go. I'll go and watch some of his old games, and I, I watched two of them, which is a very small sample size, so I can't, I can't speak in like definitives here. But um, what I saw really correlated a lot with what uh, David Saint-Louis was saying of uh, that that Sibolev is like a really engaging defenseman, right? So like whenever like on the rush or or whatever, he's very aggressive, right? So he always attacks the puck. He uh, does. He's not passive in any way. It's like he snuffs out chances as soon as they come up. And I, I went back and watched some games. And like again, it's it's a lower tier of Russian hockey, so it's it's always up in the air. But he was really good. Like he was he was like really strong, really confident. Uh, there was no hesitation in this game, which is something that I always appreciate in young young defensemen when they're confident in making their plays right. And then if they make a mistake, it's like, fine, right? Like, like you're going to make a mistake at some point, but at least make a mistake when you're confident about the choice that you made. And that's something that I saw quite a bit. And it'll be really fun to see what he does in the OHL this season, because he'll be playing against like great prospects like Shane Wright and just seeing how he like goes about handling like, like, like really high level skill players will be really interesting. And if he can like still keep that, that, that core of his defensive game of, just snuffing out chances and pushing to the, out, to the outside. And yeah, like he, he's a defensive defenseman. So like, don't, don't look at him to be a big uh, point producer, even in the OHL, but he has a decent shot. So the, he, he'll, he'll score some goals, but it's not the core of his game, but he's a very 
modern defensive specialist of he's very smart in his play, very aggressive. And he is like constantly high effort, right? Like, like he never takes a shift off constant high effort of engaging the play. And it's just my kind of defenseman that I enjoy watching. I think a good point to throw really quick is that if Alexi Evelyn was able to make his Habs debut five years after they drafted him, I think anything's possible. It's so below. Exactly. Exactly. Another uh, story that we always love, aside from the the late draftees, are the undrafted. Now, of course, you know, we've got the famous ones like Martin Saint-Louis, Dan Boyle, Eddie Belfort, Jeff Courtnall, Steve Duchesne. I think Dino Cicerelli as well was one of them. Uh, I think Rocco would appreciate a, a little blast from the past there. And Scott has brought up brought this up to me. And you know what? We're gonna take we're gonna take the time to talk about this because it's always a risky thing. But hey, why not? Scott, you wanted to talk about two players in particular, Bailey Peach and Luke Toporowski. Now these are names that you know to the common listener are absolutely okay. Who who the heck are you? So fill us in. <laughs> please with a little bio and why are these guys worth mentioning now that they've passed over not once but twice but seven times by every organization in the nhl i mentioned this a few times in prior prior episodes but the guys i typically choose to follow like sebastian are typically really random choices i just kind of pick up on guys and then i follow them on and off and most of the time it's just very random players who most of the time i want to have a reason to follow but they just kind of appeared on my radar case in point olivia archambault was that kind of player and i've been following him since 2016 now as for luke toporowski and billy peach toporowski i've actually been following for the past couple of seasons and that's mainly due to his uh, to do it to do his relation to another former minor league enforcer who i was a big fan of Kerry toporowski who is his father. Uh, Kerry was a defenseman in the IHL, the ECHL, and the UHL, put up 413 penalty minutes in the 2000 season, was known as one of the toughest guys in the league, played for the Quad City Mallards, actually had a bobblehead made of him, which is a pretty interesting little fact right there. And his son definitely carries over parts of his game, but he's actually his own player, and he's a very talented one at that. Now, for the past now for the past few seasons, he's been playing mainly in the WHL. This past season, he played in the uh, USHL due to the WHL season being canceled. And yeah, he's just a very talented two-way player. He's a left winger. He's solid defensively. He can score a little bit, and he plays a very up-tempo game. And he has a relentless work ethic, which for an undrafted player is a really, really good quality to have. Now, while he hasn't really been ranked by any major outlets, he's had a few stories written about him here and there due to his relation, and just so he posted some really solid numbers. 60 points in 62 games in 2019-20, and 33 points in 32 games in 2020-21. Now, while I don't think he is ready to have an NHL contract just yet, I think he's a perfect candidate to see an AHL contract, and I have no doubt that he'll be able to get one come from the start of the season. And I think there'll be a team who's willing to take a chance on him, that being if he chooses to go professional or just go over to U-sports or whatever. Leading on from that, Billy Peach is another guy who I've been picking up on and off, and I've seen a bit of his numbers here and there. And there's definitely a lot of Billy Peaches who have come out of the QMJHL in junior. I mean, another point to make is Mitchell Balmas, who was an 80-point 80, 80 player with the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles, who now plays for the St. Mary's University, so he went over to U-Sports. And Peach is one of those guys who just kind of bounced around the queue of a bunch of different teams and never really found a home. And when he finally got himself going offensively, he was at the wrong place in the wrong time, whether it be as an overager, whether it be with just the wrong team or the wrong system or whatever. And again, like Toporowski, he's a really solid player, but I think he has more of an offensive side to his game than Toporowski. And he definitely produces a lot more on the offensive side of things. And he's a bit more of a power contributor. This didn't really find the right team to gel with at the QMGHL, and he was never really given a proper chance. Now it remains to be seen again, whether he'll go over to play youth sports or he'll get a professional contract. But in both these cases, I think these guys are ones to watch out for in the AHL come next season. Well, 
we've seen it more than once. You know, guys who've been passed over more than more than more than one year, and you know, for Habs fans, you know, the dream is still attainable. I mean, I'm going to go back to '95 again, unfortunately, because thank you, Joshua, for bringing up that painful memory. But uh, for those that remember in that infamous Patrick Watt trade, we also traded our captain Mike Keane, who, by the way, has never been drafted as well. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, we are finally at the final segment of the night. That was kind of redundant. Finally, final. But you know what? We have to talk about the elephant in the room. I know. By the time you've listened to this podcast, maybe some news have come out. Maybe KK signed. Maybe K- Maybe the Canadians decided to, to retain him. But... You know, for the time being, by the time we are recording this, we're Thursday evening. The episode's coming out on, on Friday morning. Obviously, if you're listening to our show, you would like to know about all of our infinite wisdom and witty comments. So here it goes. Yes, Betty Kotkinian. Now, unless you've been living under a rock for the last week, but, you know, I'm guessing you guys know the news. So let's just take, do a quick recap. The Carolina Hurricanes, or more specifically, Tom Dundon, the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes because general manager Don Waddell was apparently out on a rodeo and couldn't be reached for comments when this uh, offer was made. Made a hostile offer to the Montreal Canadiens uh, to Yesperi Kakenyemi on a one-year deal worth $6,015,000 with, by the way, a $20 signing bonus. Now people were like, what? Well, 15 being Kakenyemi's number, 20 being Sebastian Aho's number. So obviously, you know, people have to think, I mean, this has to be revenge for the Aho um, offer sheet that Marc Bergevin made. But at the same time, I mean, Jesperi Kokiani is a great kid. He has a tremendous upside. I don't care what anybody thinks. I like the kid. I think he can be a legitimate second-line center on any NHL team, provided he has the right wingers with him. Because the thing with Kakanyemi is that he's a great playmaker. He has incredible vision of the ice. Defensively, not too bad. He can handle his own. Physically, he's terrible. His skates aren't strong enough. His ankles just aren't strong enough. You know, he falls all over the place. Put him on a line with, I don't know, maybe Mike Coffin and Josh Anderson. You know, you might see some something interesting. But now here comes the question. Joshua Rosa, Sebastian Hai. And you know what? We brought back Rocco Rosa for this segment as well. So we're going to ask him the question at the same time. Welcome back, sir. Will the Habs match the offer? If not, who is going to replace him? Jake Evans? Cedric Paquette? Mathieu Perrault? Ryan Paling? I think Sebastian's sweat in the corner. So I think I'm going to start with you, actually. I was supposed to start with Josh, but Sebastian is going crazy. So, Josh, I'm sorry about this. Seb, what do you think? I mean, what, in your, in, in your mind, what's going to happen? Uh, is KK staying or is he leaving? Because, okay, let's be honest here. The worst kept secret in the NHL right now is that Marc Bergevin is working the phones and calling every single team, being like, listen, next draft, I'm going to have two first-round picks and three third-round picks on top of my second-round pick. That's, you know, if they decide to let KK walk. So, obviously, you can get pretty much a really quality center 
but you have to work with cap constraints and everything. So before we get into those details, I'm going to stop babbling because, you know, I'm going to be taking up the next 20 minutes just doing this introduction. Sebastian, what's going to happen, man? It's tough. Like I, my, my opinion has gone from like one thing to another and jump to another yet again. So he, again, Takanyemi has great upside. Um, and he was meant to be the Hab second line center of the season, right? Like, like going into this, everyone knew like it was his job to lose. He was going to actually finally have consistent wingers that were high skill. And I was really excited to see that. And um, well, if the Habs do end up matching the offer sheet, he is going to have the best and most consistent wingers possible because the coaching staff will need yeah. to give it to him with his salary. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and Another option would be to not match and just keep the picks and keep them for next draft when the draft's held in Montreal. Uh, considering I love prospects, that's also an exciting thing. I don't know if I trust the Habs to draft well with those picks, um, considering how this draft went. But like, it's an exciting thing to have, right? Like, especially it's a potential lottery pick. Like Carolina having lost Dougie Hamilton is not a shoe in for the playoffs. Like the entire East is like, like roll the dice and like knock off Ottawa and Detroit and I don't know, Columbus and anyone else can make the playoffs basically. Um, but yeah. And like, you can also trade them. Right. So my, my preference would have been to make a trade for Tomas Hurdle uh, from the San Jose Sharks. He is tremendous defensively. He's a beast in the face off dot. He scores a lot of goals and he is a great playmaker. He's an all around like high end first line centerman, which is what Montreal needs, right? Like having him in Suzuki would have been perfect, but he did come out uh, recently uh, in, 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 in an article with the athletic saying he's just going to start the season with San Jose and see where things go. And he only has, he has like a no trade clause with where you can only pick three teams in the entire league where he wants to get traded to. Uh, and let's just say Montreal's not necessarily there, but uh, in my opinion, I think the Habs are going to um, not match the offer sheet and that they're going to trade the picks for Christian Dvorak, which is not my preferred outcome, but should be interesting. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest here. The, the, the names that we've heard the most often as trade bait has been, yeah, Christian Dvorak, which I think would just be a lateral move, you know, uh, maybe even a downgrade to Kalkiniemi. Uh, I would be excited to see Thomas Hurdle if and only if he signs an extension right away. But it has to be a logical, of course. Extension. But yeah, and it has to be a logical extension because we don't have, like. Yes, I, I understand that Shea Weber is going to be on the uh, long-term injury reserve, and that's seven million more in the bank. But you got to you got to realize at the same time that even though Paul Byron is out until December, he's going to come back at some point. That's another three and a half million that we have to do, to hold accountable. The other guy is Jack Eichel. Eh, whatever. Let's move on to something else. I want to talk to Josh. Uh, Josh, um, you're Marc Bergevin. You got big guns. You got 20-inch pythons, brother. You know, so you're you're calling you're calling Don Waddell and you're telling him, all right, your owner's psycho. He's lost his marbles, but the, he's played his game. What do you tell him? Do you match or you do not match? Okay, we're going to get back to Josh because we seem to be having some technical difficulties. So, of course, we're going to set it to his dad because, you know, father is always more reliable than their kids, apparently. Rocco, what's your, what's your take on the uh, Kokenyumi, um offer? I mean, is it something that, 
has caught you by surprise? Like I'm guessing most of us has been has been surprised by this, or is it? You know what? It's part of the game. We're part of the business, like we were talking about earlier. And um, if you're in Bergevin's shoes, like what do you do? Do you match this offer? Do you pay the kid six million dollars a year, especially after only scoring five goals last year, or do you say, you know what? I don't care if he's a third overall pick. I'm taking the draft picks, and I'm going to try to trade somewhere else. Yeah, I would take the picks. I, I would, uh, I would let him go just for that that amount, that amount of money. And I don't know. I I guess like Sebastian said, there's an excitement around the, the draft picks and and the prospects, right? And that's a big part of the game. I know it's always been that way. Um, so personally, I think. Uh, you know, he plays with, with the passion, but I've seen so many times where a player has that passion kind of uh, snuffed a little bit because it becomes like we talked about earlier, more of a business, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, players playing passionately. So I don't know if it's going to, if that's the case for him, if that's what's going to happen, but I, I like the idea of them, uh, you know, it, that's a lot of money. I would, I would go with prospects and, and take the, take the, uh, the trade and, and a couple of choices. And then, I mean, I'm not following who's all available. I've seen uh, the, the information about Eichel. I don't know if that's a good fit or anything, but obviously that's a, a choice. Uh, but that's my, uh, my take on it. The thing with taking the picks, and I know Sebastian is really high on prospects and he loves, you know, having 60, 67 draft picks to work with and everything. And yeah, it's an exciting thing. But enough with prospects already like after last playoffs i mean now the the city is more hungry than ever to get a stanley cup and the time is now so you either match it and you develop them properly or you just trade the darn picks because i'm i'm sorry if there's two things that annoy me greatly about the montreal canadians and i mean no disrespect to anyone i know we're trying to be impartial about everything but it has to be said if we're stuck with these picks well, stuck. I say if we if we decide not to match and we take the picks, please do not let Trevor Timmons draft. Because, I mean, if you're looking at, at history, the number one picks that we've lost for whatever reason is abysmal. We're talking about Mikhail Sergachev. We're talking about Alex Galchenyuk. We're talking about Michael McCarron who ended up being a flop. It's like, you know what? Like, uh, might as well, you know, trade those two draft picks and or worst case, our number one, bundle it with something else and everything. And let's go after someone, you know, like, yeah, Thomas Hurdle was a great option and everything. Uh, I would even, like, you know, as, as much as I dismissed Jack Eichel a few minutes ago, you know what? Like, I would still be excited if he would have landed in Montreal because, you know, like there's a lot of reports coming out that he's admitted that, hey, he'd love to play in Montreal. He, would, he wants to play for a high profile team. He wants to be, have the pressure put on him. And I don't know about you guys. But a one-two center punch of Jack Eichel and Nick Suzuki, like, that will be, be incredible. But again, the trade has to be done. And at the same time, here comes a question, and now that Josh is back with us to, after uh, rebooting, um, Josh, I mean, there's, there's a part of me that goes, all right, you know what? We've talked a lot about Marc Benjamin being on the final year of his contract. He has not accepted or or answered at least publicly the contract offer that Jeff Molson has has tendered to him for an extension. However, here's where here's where it only boils, boils down to is Bergevin going to go all in and he's going to get a high profile player no matter what the price is 
or we're going to be disappointed and we're going to end up with Christian Dvorak. But at the same time, tell us if you think that he's going to match or not. Uh, I'm not sure about the matching for Mark Bergevin. It kind of has felt for a little bit now that Kotkaniemi has been kind of the ch- child of Trevor Timmons and Mark Bergevin. They took a bit of a risk on him. It was a bit off the board for a pick, and especially with the way that Brady Kachuk, the fourth overall pick right after him, has been blossoming in Ottawa. There's been some blowback. So I think there's a lot of incentive for Timmons and to try to match this contract, to try to salvage the situation and not admit that they totally messed up the pick on Kotkaniemi. Yeah, but he's 21, Josh. I mean, why why are you going to give up on a 21-year-old who has three years' experience, who, by the way, I'm sorry to say, has been rushed to the NHL? He should have started in Laval. Yeah, I totally agree. I am... I. I'm just trying to think of this as from Mark Bergevin's perspective. I do like Kotkaniemi quite a bit, like with my dad saying the passion thing. He shows glimpses of what I think could be really special in the NHL, which is the most frustrating part, because if he could just make it work, put a season together, put a career together, he could be something special. But so often it just doesn't quite work out for him and we see him a bit with the five goals in the playoffs he did really good things in the playoffs and it would be really hard to just give up on him and if it was just a one-year six million dollar contract I think I would take that right away it's one year overpayment for a guy that you get to keep unfortunately you have to re-sign him for six million for the next foreseeable future, which is a long time. I just, I can't, I don't know what is going through Mark Bergevin's mind. I have the feeling how late it is. He is going to let Kotkaniemi go and he's going to try to get someone like a Dvorak, which is a lateral move, but he is, I think, four years older than Kotkaniemi at this point. Yeah, he technically should be um, in his prime, yeah. Yeah, where Kotkaniemi is just going to get better, and I think he is going to get better if he goes to Carolina. He has a bit of a sheltered role and everything there. Yeah, well, I mean, we could we, we could debate about the Carolina roster all we want because if like if you look at the the, the depth they had at center, they have a hoe, they have Martin Nickus, they got Jordan Stahl. Um, you know, they had that um, uh, that kid that played on the fourth line as well. They got Derek Stepan as well that they said is a free agent. Prochek. Vincent Trocek, thank you. Um, he was the guy I was missing. Uh, so he's going to be he's likely going to play, be playing a winger role for that matter. But before we go too deep into that, I want to go go to the Ro- Ro- Rosa Senior, Mr. Rocco. I mean, modern day hockey. I mean, okay, if we're going pre um, salary cap, there wouldn't have been any question. A team like Montreal would have been like, yeah, whatever. We're we're, we're matching. We're we're you know. We'll bust our budget if we have to. That's that's never going to be a, uh, an issue. We have unlimited finances. But, I mean, when's the last time you have seen such debacle over an offer sheet? I mean, recent memory will probably serve us the, the, the Dustin Penner fiasco between Edmonton and Anaheim where Sean Burke, uh, no, uh, Brian Burke, sorry, um, famously went out against Kevin Lowe, calling him all kinds of names on air and everything. 
I mean, I haven't seen this kind of of madness, uh, wow, in a long time. I mean, like, did are you? I mean, how do you feel about the squabbling, so to speak? You know, for a twenty one year old, by the way, you know, because back in the days, again, and I know, I know, we love to use this term. Back in the days, at twenty one years old, unless you're a Gila Flar. You're not playing in the NHL. You're playing in the minors. You're honing your skills. Or worst case, you're playing on the fourth line. You got a part-time role and everything. How do you feel about this new mentality and this new trend of paying for prospect rather than actual achievement? Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I've been watching this and and you know some some of the uh, news feeds and that. Um, the question I have that comes up that I'm trying to answer is. You know, had Montreal not had a stellar uh, run at the end of the season last year, would this actually even be a conversation? You know, I mean, maybe, (laughs) you know, people, you know, I mean, they had a great, great run. Um, You get uh, a team like that gets into the spotlight, then everything, everything becomes like almost out of proportion kind of right. I mean, in in this one specific uh, example, uh, so, you know, it, it, you get caught up in, you know, what Montreal did and, and people, you know, think, well, it's all these little team members that put this whole thing together. So we want to go after whatever little crumb we can get. Sebastian, let me, let me pass the puck to you, my friend, because, um, I know you always have, you know, peripheral vision and you look what's going on on the side and everything. And everyone is, is celebrating the summer of Lou so far with the Islanders who manages to sign everyone on team friendly deals. It's absolutely incredible what he's doing. Um, everyone seems to be on Bergevin's case this summer being like, this is one of his worst off seasons ever because we're potentially going to lose Kotkami because we let Daniel walk as an RFA because we let Corey Perry leave, even though, you know, we got a million wingers in, in front of him and only signing Mac, uh, Matt Hoffman, um, as you know, a big player, right along with, but at the same time, there was a, a little bit of criticism for that for David Savard, although a very good uh, defenseman, he's not going to replace Shea Weber. I mean, my question to you is, I mean, is this criticism warranted? And is Kotkaniemi is and is letting Kotkaniemi go, kind of like the cherry on the sundae, being like, all right, you know what, your five year plan of rebuilding this team has lasted ten years. I think, you know, is it time to say, you know what, his experiment has just failed at this point? I mean, there are multiple ways of looking at it, right? Like, he is the GM that actually brought the Habs back to the Stanley Cup for the first time. But I do think that this offseason was an absolute tire fire. Like, I I don't know if you can look at it in any other way. I don't think you can look at the current roster and think it's any stronger than the one that we had in the playoffs. And that was with uh, Dwayne on leave of absence and Thomas Tatar in the press box for potentially uh, unwarranted reasons. Uh, no, no, no. And, come on. He, had, he, had no, he had no business being in the playoffs. He's a season he, player. That's the end of that. I, mean, uh, I, mm, yeah. I, I would disagree there. I, I, I like Tatar a lot. But the but thing is, no, if, if you look at, at the current roster compared to even like last regular season, like Cole Caulfield and Mike Hoffman are the two real additions, right? Like, like yeah. you, you can't really look at David Savard as an addition when you consider the subtraction of Shea Weber. Um, and, like, the same, same goalie tandem is great, 
right? But like apart from that, on on defense, it's the same thing. Hopefully, uh, Romanov takes a step this season. But like it's just down the middle, right? Like it's just it's so bad. Um, especially which is, which is funny because a year ago, not even a year ago, a few months ago, oh, for sure, we were. It was so the bright deep. spot. Yeah, like ima- imagine going into the season with a center trio of Suzuki, Dano, and and KK, right? Like 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 we would be back on the Sasama Cup train, right? Because like it'd be great, right? It would be all amazing despite losing Shea Weber and. Yeah, like I, I think I think the where Bergeron really fumbled the ball was in not getting Kakami signed earlier, right? Like when you when you tender an offer sheet to a team, you should expect retali- retaliation at some point, especially when it's against someone like Tom Dundon, right? Like <sighs> like we heard two years ago that that Carolina was going to do this, and now Bergeron spent two months in the offseason not doing anything but Kakami, right? Like like apparently the unless he was, the, sh- unless he was shot apparently, again. apparently the, it's possible. But at the same time, apparently Kakanyemi was getting offers in like the 2.5 million range, which for like two years, which is pretty much what he's worth. But at the same time, Montreal had the cap space to just give him 3.5. Is it really going to kill you to give him an extra million? I don't think so. No. And are you, are you going to risk like losing him on an offer sheet? And like, he, like Bergeron really painted himself into a corner with the situation. And I think he really fumbled the ball there. I think if you pair that with this idiotic drafting of Logan Mayu. I don't want to see him back after his contract expires. Yeah, and same thing we said with Trevor Caymans. I want them both gone and just clean, out, clean house uh, in management and just start anew because so much of this fan base has been alienated since that playoff run that had everyone so excited. We just need a little fresh start here. Yeah, the, 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 main, the main issue is that on the ice, we've been getting some of the good, some good players. Behind the bench, we seem to finally have a good philosophy. It's... Upstairs, that's that, like uh, that, that. That the problem is more than more than clear. And Josh, I'll I'll send it to you in, in a second. I just want I, I just, it needs to be said. I mean, okay, Belshazzar's time I think has is coming to to a close. Trevor Timmons's head has been called upon for years now, and I'm sorry, but this situation also rests on the head of the Department of Player Personnel. I mean, I'm a player development. Excuse me. Um, like your your job is to develop players. It says so in the title. The job has just not been done because a guy like Kokenyemi, if he's he's warranted to be drafted third overall, is because there's something special about him. Clearly, the scouts went up to him and be like, he's going to be that good. Well, you know what? Put him on a program that's going to put him that good. And if it means him spending extra time in Finland, if it means spending extra time in Laval, then so be it. But now what you're doing is that you're potentially wasting yet another draft pick you know and everyone's going to be up up in up in ours because they're going to say oh we could have had brady kachuk and then and whatnot yeah well, we don't know that okay like that, that's the the, the, the the draft is always a crapshoot but it's such it's such a delicate situation at the same time because it's so easy to play armchair gm because we don't know all the situation that goes on backstage so to speak but um josh i mean you, you have you have a comment in general about the RFA situation and you know, it is kind of confusing from the outside looking in, in, in a certain way, but you said you, you want you want to give your opinion on, on this as well. Go ahead. So yeah, I'll talk about RFAs real quick. Uh, there are the worst ways to get a player and uh, not because of petty revenge, like Tom Dundon's doing to Montreal right now. It's just that you have by definition have to, hugely overpay a player 
um, more than you would say in a UFA or in a trade, because if you don't overpay the guy, like they're just going to take it back. Like Sebastian Ajo, you have to give a guy two to three times what he's worth, like Katya Nami to get anything out of it. And I just, that's why no one's been signed to an RFA since like 2007 and Dustin Penner. Uh, it's just a terrible idea. But with Montreal, Montreal's system right now has just been full of terrible ideas. And they get by on the good ones, but it seems like they're starting to catch up with them. Um, with the player development, uh, one I always think back on is Victor Mete. And I can't remember what year exactly he was, but he was the 100th overall draft pick, I believe. And then right out of training camp, he makes the team and plays next to Shea Weber. And uh, that seemed a little suspect. And I think from the outside, I wasn't hugely following everything like I am now at that point. But to me, it seemed like it was a team trying to drum up some excitement for a team that hadn't had a lot of excitement lately in the terms of success, in terms of huge draft picks and prospects. And we see it a lot where they just mismanage people, putting Victor Mete on the first pairing, putting Alex Galchenyuk in the center, putting Druen in the center. And you just see these things where it's like, why on earth would you do that? Mostly just to say, oh, we didn't waste our draft pick on another winger when we need centers. We got a center here and then it doesn't work. And then we traded a good defenseman for a center and it didn't work. Notice how we also skipped uh, the option of Jonathan Drouet playing center, by the way. You know, even though it's been reported later that he's like, yeah, I'll play center. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll also play center, but I, I don't, you don't see me volunteering. As if, right? Yeah, if they want me to play on Montreal, so I'll do everyone. it. <laughs> it would be it would, it would be awful. But you know what? I mean, despite um, all this negative talk, <laughs> we're still we still think we could have a potentially good year. Rocco said so at the beginning of our show that you know we might, you know, we still got a chance to to have a, to have a nice uh, a nice run nonetheless. But again, like I said in our intro. Uh, this whole conversation might be a moot point once the, it's posted. Maybe by the time you're listening to the show, something else has happened. Maybe we made a trade. Maybe we matched. Maybe he parted. We don't know. That's the beauty of hockey. But here is that infamous horn, which signifies the end of our show. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this week. On behalf of myself, Scott Cowan, Sebastian Hyde, Joshua Rosa, and Maria Buabdo, we thank each and every one of you for listening to our show. Our warmest thanks to Rocco Rosa for donating his time to us to talk about all-time hockey. Thank you again, sir. Shout out to our friend Sam Mendelson, who we knew despite his extremely busy schedule, he still takes the time to listen to us every week. Sam will return at some point, so don't worry, folks. He's still very much a part of this amazing crew. Also, thank you to, of course, Chanelle Marie for providing the voiceover work, and of course, to Shane Ivers for the music, courtesy of SilvermanSound.com. If you haven't done so already, make sure you visit us over at podpage.com slash puckandroll, where you will find all of our social media links as well as access to all of your favorite episodes. Once more, thank you very much to all of our listeners, and make sure to tune in next week for another episode of Puck and Roll.
$50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.